0: This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk and financial solutions. Hi, I'm Chris Jard, and this is Talk Your Book. And today we're joined by Angelo Del Borello from Acure Asset Management. Angelo, thanks very much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks very much, Chris, for having us.
0: Now, we're going to do a broad-based sort of overview of the Australian property sector. But I thought before we get into that, we could walk through Acure Asset Management and, and what your guys' business structure is.
1: Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, look, Acure Asset Management's been going for over 10 years. Um, we're a property funds management and syndication group. We typically look for, we're agnostic on looking at property. Uh, We tend to focus a lot on trying to find undervalued assets across Australia and very much in the, um, you know, commercial, retail, industrial accommodation type space, so uh, very income focused. So we typically put syndicates together to buy assets and then we manage them on behalf of a number of investors throughout Australia. Currently, we look after about 500 million of real estate nationally.
0: And we'll dig in deeper into specifics in a second, but in broad brushstrokes, what's your sort of overall helicopter view of the commercial property market leading into 2023? Yeah, look,
1: it's obviously been an interesting year in in 2022 with interest rates aggressively uh, growing from from emergency levels. And, you know, that will affect valuations on some assets. And, you know, we're seeing a bit of a softening in, in valuation through this year, I expect that to continue into early 23, um, which, you know, from our point of view, sort of creates opportunity to, to look at assets that are, um, you know, probably a bit more attractive on valuation, which, is, which have been pretty hard to find over the last couple of years.
0: And we've seen significant interest rate rises this year, as you touched on. What do you think is interest rates will do in Australia next year?
1: Look, look I think um, being pretty close to the end of uh, tightening I think um, I mean obviously no one's an expert in interest rates and only the reserve bank know where they're going but you know maybe well, they didn't know
0: where they, even they didn't know where they were going either did they
1: <laughs> No well that's right exactly so I don't know who's an expert in this area but um, yeah you know, my gut feel is uh, I think maybe another quarter maybe a half in the new year but that should just about do it but
0: and zeroing in on retail properties where are you seeing opportunities in that space at the minute?
1: Yeah, look, retail's been interesting. It, it's it's um, particularly neighborhood retail where you've got a supermarket anchor. Um, you know, it has been one of the darlings over the last couple of years. I'd expect that to continue because there is a bit of um, secureness in, in income flow through having those anchors of the Woolies and the Coles and the IGAs of this world. So, uh, but, you know, they, they did get to, you know, cap rates of in the fours. I think you'll probably start to see them getting back to probably, you know, the better assets, the five and a half, six percent percent maybe a little bit softer.
0: And regional retail properties have performed quite strongly over the last year and a half. Is that move where work from homes enable more people to live in the regions, do you think that sort of strength is going to continue or do you think we're going to go back to a a pre-COVID world?
1: Look, I think eventually... um, I mean, my feeling is most employers would like to see their um, uh, employees back in the office because of the collaboration and and, and the learning um, that um, employees gain by being around other people. However, there are some roles which certainly can be taken on a work from home basis more often and, and there's no doubt, I mean, the, the um, Shopping centers in the regions have benefited from that over the last couple of years. Um, some of the shine will come off that I think, but um, you know if you 're talking you know country type centers i don 't think that'll change too much because typically there 's only one center in in most country towns so uh, I think it'll continue in, in in the
0: main when you look at that, you mentioned that a lot of the, those country retail shopping centers there's there 's one center and there's just not the population to support another centre being built. Do they do they carry some monopolistic type characteristics that suburban retail centres don't, where there's enough population to obviously build multiple retail centres in a in a smaller yeah. footprint?
1: Yeah, certainly in some towns. That's absolutely correct. I mean, and particularly now where construction costs have gone up significantly over the last 18 months, I think it'll be more difficult to. Uh, make a second centre work in some regions. So certainly that there, there are some monopolistic type advantages with uh, you know shopping centres in certain regions.
0: And talk to me about office space. Which sort of areas in Australia are you seeing as the most attractive, attractive for um office space investing?
1: Yeah, look we, we took a bit of a countercyclical view on office the last couple of years. We've bought three office buildings in the last three years through COVID. Um, with all the negative talk about office, we are a believer that you know over the long term, office will still be important in some regions. Um, we bought two office buildings in Adelaide, where we think um, you know there's some some quite good advantages in Adelaide. There's certainly there's no stamp duty when you acquire assets in Adelaide, which is attractive. Um, and we've also just recently bought a, an office building in July, uh, in the Gold Coast, which you know post COVID has benefited from people who uh, are taking a bit more of a lifestyle approach to the work uh, work basis and, and have moved from, particularly regions from Melbourne and, and to a lesser degree Sydney.
0: And I won't get you to divulge your trade secrets around incentives, but broadly speaking, what type of incentives are, are landlords expected to pay to a, to a high quality tenant for a, a 10 year plus lease at the minute? Look, I
1: think um, incentives uh, play a pretty important part in getting tenants in buildings. and. And one of the major reasons for that is that, you know, to fit out an office floor, say a thousand square meter floor, probably costs you about a thousand dollars a square meter. So, you know, most tenants don't have the balance sheet or or the credit facilities with their banks to to just fund a fit out. So, typically, get lands to the landlord to do that for them, and and effectively we work that out on a percentage of incentive on the rent they pay. So. When markets tighten, the incentives are similar. They'll still be 20 to 30% to help fund um, fit-outs. However, what you tend to see is the face rent. We call it face rent. The, the rents will be going up on a per square metre basis. So, um, you know, that typically I, I don't see that changing too much because of, you know, obviously a landlord has the benefit of owning the real estate and we can use our security, if you like, to assist in funding fit-outs which ultimately, when the tenant leaves, lands back to the landlord anyway.
0: And what sort of vacancy rates are you seeing in office in, in the major cities across Australia? Uh, on average, most of them are circa
1: 10 to 12%. Um, there's a couple of outliers in Perth. You know, vacancies are around 15%. Um, but uh, majority of them, and, and probably Darwin, which is a, a smaller market, it's around 17%. But, but most other uh, major capital cities are around the 10 to 12% mark.
0: And what did you see from corporates? Did you see them take the, the sort of changes post-COVID to an increase in working from home to permanently downsize their footprint or have the way they set up their offices just changed? Or what are you seeing from, from most people? Yeah, of look, the, there was a real push before
1: COVID for, um, you know, uh, what, what we call, uh, you know... Uh, where tenants would be looking to won't um, have a permanent desk. And effectively, you know, most corporates might have allocated 70% of their workforce into an office space, allowing for people to work from home, taking time off, etc. And And, you know, your, your larger banks, your, your big mining companies, your big corporates typically went down that path. When COVID hit, that became a real problem because, um, they didn't have enough seats and, and or space because typically, as part of that, to reduce their costs of, of occupancy, you know, they, they normally have one one person per eight square meters is what they got down to um, within an office space. You know, ten years ago, it probably was more like one per fourteen square meters, and I think um, we'll probably see that one per one person per eight square meter area for in an office space probably expand back out to about 1 to 12 square metres, I think. Uh, it will take a bit of time for corporates to readjust um, because a lot of them would be locked into to leases. So, you know, we've seen a little bit of that with some of the, the players where leases have come up for renewal, but uh, because they took that aggressive stance pre-COVID, I don't think it will change a lot um, on that basis.
0: And I know every employer is different, but is the default position now sort of a three days in the office, two days at home, do you think for most employers that's, that's standard operating procedure at the minute?
1: Um, I think you've probably got to divide it by big corporates to small small business. I think small business is probably um, you know, trying to get people back five days a week. And, and certainly there's always flexibility, I think, in small business where People can take time off, you know. People are sick, or kids are sick, or, or whatever it might be. That's always been there anyway. I think the big corporates are probably being that we've got a very tight uh, employment market at the moment. Uh, are probably trying to tighten processes, but probably one to two days a week is is probably the norm for some of those larger groups. I'd say.
0: And the last sort of property sector I wanted to dig into was was industrial uh, property, which has had a had an amazing run, and it's it's probably the one sector in property where it, it seems like just about everyone's bullish on it with the, uh, you know, the increase in online spending and the, the amount of logistics that need to be transported around. Is it hard to find value in the industrial space currently? It certainly
1: has been. I think there's been a lot of money thrown at industrial over the last couple of years and that online um, sort of drive. I do think though there's, it's not without risk. Um, a lot of um, distribution centers these days are highly technology driven and technology changes so I do think that you know if you've just got a distribution center that is ideal for today's climate in 10 years time it might not be so I, I do think it doesn't come without risk and you've got to have your eyes wide open I do, uh, you know with interest rates going up we are seeing that sector soften with every other sector but certainly not to the same extent as some other sectors might be.
0: Um, are there any cities that offer up more compelling industrial uh, property opportunities at the minute? Look,
1: I think the smaller cities, you know, Perth, Adelaide, Brisbane, probably offer up a little bit more value. Uh, Sydney and Melbourne being the larger cities are always the first to go to and, and there's a lot of competition looking for assets in those two larger cities. So we've typically played in a lot of the smaller cities because you, you find a little bit more value when it comes to, um, you know, looking for assets in that sector.
0: And in industrial property, when you look at it, are you really looking at it to eventually be rezoned and, and turn into resi or that the growth opportunity is having such a land parcel present? Or are you usually looking at it through the lens of a cash flow asset, much like you would with, a, with an office space?
1: Look, I think there's a lot more, uh, you know, I tend to describe industrial property as a land bank with cash flow. Yeah. So, you know, I do think over the long haul, land goes up. And you know the longer you've got income coming through and the longer you hold, the better you'll do. So uh, you know the improvements on industrial land typically are a lot less costly than say an office building or a shopping center. So um, we tend to look at it from that lens, but we're also very focused for our investors to generate you know seven, eight, nine percent income streams that we can pay out as distributions.
0: What other things do you look for, particularly with industrial properties, when you're looking through a deal? What are some of the things that that initially catch your eye to stand out to to make you want to dig a bit further into the deal?
1: Um, Look, I think, um, you know, uh, probably at the moment, we tend, if we're looking industrial, we'd probably look at shorter term lease type industrials where there's an opportunity to renegotiate a new lease. Um, We uh, we've had some success in that area. We, We just sold an asset we bought nine years ago, um, you know, only a small asset at 8.6 million. we just sold it for 16 million. We had one year left on the lease, negotiated a new 15-year lease at a higher rent, and our investors have benefited by having, you know, 13% um, distribution yields over nine years and doubling their money because we just sold it. So I think those opportunities exist at the moment because there's quite strong rental growth happening in, in industrial right across the country.
0: Well, Angelo, thanks very much. We don't have a heap of property guys come on here, but great to get a uh, great to get a feel and an update for what's going to come down the pike in uh, in commercial property in 2023. Thanks very much for, for yeah, coming on the show. thanks very much,
1: Chris. I, but before we leave, I might just put a little plug into a sector we quite like post-COVID, which is the hospitality sector. Yeah. Uh, we are in the process of buying two hotels in Perth that are accommodation hotels on pretty good returns. So uh, we, we sort of see that as a bit of a counter-cyclical rebound sector, um, which we're looking to try and add a a few more assets in 2023.
0: And is that almost an opening up type trade now that people are tourism's gonna flow in a little bit more back into Australia and and business travel's gonna open up? Is that part of the thesis around those those purchases?
1: Yeah, certainly what we're looking for is um, tourist type assets that are attractive for local travel in its own regions. I mean, in the case of what we currently have Mandurah and Fremantle in West Australia are both very attractive options locally, and and we see that being a core of our thesis that we're looking for, with interstate and international travel increasing. Um, you know that being uh, the cream on the cake, I suppose. We're still not quite seeing international travel at levels pre-COVID because of costs of travel, and I think as that uh, gets closer back to normal, which might take twelve months to two years to to get back to normal. We do think that'll open up very strongly. Um, you know, I think every every man and his dog wants to travel at the moment. It's a question of where they can afford to travel. And I think that's uh, that's why we're looking for these local travel type destinations.
0: And if people want to find out more about Acura uh, Asset Management, where should they go to head out?
1: Yeah, so they can certainly go to our website, uh, au. you'll see opportunities on, on that website. And uh, and and or they can contact us on oh eight
0: nine Beautiful. Thanks, Angelo. Thanks very much for uh, for coming on the show.
1: Great, Chris. Thanks for having us.
0: This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.